This podcast was produced on the lands of the Bunurong, Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples of the Kulin and Eora nations. The Pierce Project wishes to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Peers, a podcast by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. I'm Michelle Akidnor, proud biracial Australian and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, and I'm your host and fellow peer. Join me for soul-enriching conversations with like-minded young BIPOC entrepreneurs from around the globe. Each week, I dive deep into the personal journey of my award-winning guests and unpack who they really are at their core and how they got started in business. With every episode, my mission is to empower you, expand what you think is possible, and hopefully make you feel less alone as a person of colour in business. Thank you so much for being here, peers. Hey, peers, and welcome to the show. As some of you may or may not know, I am a solo founder. Yep, I don't have a co-founder. It's just me. And you know what? Strangely enough, I kind of love it that way. I'm someone who thrives off being in my own space, doing my own thing, and just working away on my own. Naturally, I'm so grateful to have you know the team that I do around me now, you know, versus the early days and, you know, having that support network of my advisors, my consultants and all of our team members at TPP, it makes a world of a difference and I absolutely couldn't do it without them. And so even though I'm a solo founder, I don't often feel like I'm alone, alone. But of course, at the end of the day, you know, it's me making those tough decisions that we all have to make in business. And that can just be really, really hard. You know, I second guess myself all of the time, wondering if the decision I've made is the right one or should I have made a different one? And, you know, recently I had to make a big call on whether or not to let go of a team member. And I had to make that call alone because, you know, solo founder, up to me. And I really just hope that it's the right one. It was so refreshing to sit down and chat to another solo BIPOC founder today in this episode. So today's guest is Sneha Shah. She's a Forbes 30 Under 30 lister and founder of Curatee, a socially conscious art advisory and curatorial firm that strategically matches artists with businesses to promote well-being, bridging the gap between art appreciators and artists. And in our chat today, we talk all about the secret to discovering your sole purpose, the art of being still and just allowing yourself to take time for yourself and how to find a healthy work-life balance as a solopreneur. Before we dive in, peers, as always, I'd absolutely love if you could please hit the follow and subscribe button so you can get updated on all new episodes as we drop them and as they come through. And if you haven't already, please do leave a rating and review on the app and follow us over on Instagram. We're at 
the Peers Project. I'm so excited for you to get to listen to this one. And I so appreciate you choosing us, you choosing to listen to this show. I know there are so many podcasts out there these days. And so I love and appreciate you immensely for choosing to listen in. Okay, without further ado, take a listen. I'm Sneha Shah. I grew up in Mumbai. I'm currently the founder of Curatee. I founded my company in 2019. We're a fine art consulting firm that's socially conscious and trying to transform lived experiences with art. So really connecting ourselves on a body and soul level to kind of the art that we engage with versus just kind of buying for decorative reasons or, you know, on a more visual level, right? So we're tapping deeper into kind of like the purpose of art and how it can actually influence us, you know, the way we live and kind of really transform our lived experience in that sense. It sounds so cool now. Imagine doing art for a living, honestly. It sounds so awesome and I can't wait to dive in deeper. But before I do, I'd love to start with a question that I just love so much because I think it tells us so much about who we are at our core. And that question is, what was it like growing up in Mumbai? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I think there's a couple of levels to it. I think growing up in a city like Mumbai, it's a big city. It has like an insane population. But it's also one of the cities that has a huge gap in terms of equity, right? When you grow up in a city like that, you kind of see that on a daily basis. For me, it was always a reflection point. When I was going to school, I was always aware that there's someone else that didn't have that opportunity, right? Kind of going to university as well. So I feel like that's definitely been a moment where whatever I did, I wanted to make sure that it created more equity within the environments I worked with. So, you know, even for me, like when I went into kind of founding my own company, it was really important to me that in the creative industries, you see the biggest disparity, right? It's the most privileged profession, it's very difficult to get into the salaries and to be quite low compared to other industries. So if you don't come from a background with backing, it can be quite hard to actually build a career in it. So for me, it was really important that on two levels, number one, I do something to kind of support creatives and artists because growing up, you know, I've always been an artist. So, you know, since I was three, I knew I wanted to be in the arts, you know, like I saw this painter, went to art school got an art history degree. So it's kind of been a straight career into that for myself. So for me, it was really important to make sure that no matter what I do, I create those opportunities for others and kind of make that journey a lot easier for others kind of walk into as well. So I would say that's definitely one side of it. The other side of it, it is beautiful. The amount of color and vibrancy, spirituality, right, that comes from within those regions where I kind of grew up was very much part of my home. My grandmom was deeply spiritual and she sort of brought me up in a way when my parents were working. So I think each of those elements definitely kind of connect and tie it into kind of the way I saw for me, art was always a point of connection. I never saw it as a commodity. So that kind of came a lot later when you start learning about the art market and how it's traded. And sadly, there's actually a lot of people's first entrance into art, which I find to be quite tragic. So it's kind of reversing that process for me. So, yeah, I think it's like the element of spirituality. It's kind of the philosophy of like, you know, social impact. 
when you come from countries like that, you have to be quite narrow-minded not to be able to see that your life is to be a lot beyond just your core passion and goals, right? It's about how do you bring others along that journey with you? What is your actual soul purpose? How do you actually build forward? I love that you talk about soul purpose. I think it's something that as ambitious millennial Gen Z entrepreneurs, I think at some point or another, we end up asking ourselves that question, you know, what is our sole purpose? I've got two questions for you. What is your sole purpose? And what was the greatest lesson that your grandmother taught you? So my dad is one of seven. She lost her husband quite early in life. And I think she's the most resilient woman I've ever met. There's never been a day where I've seen her unhappy. She embraced gratitude so deeply. She was a very strong woman. And I think kind of that is an element that I kind of upheld. She always taught you to be grateful for what you have, like your food on your table, you have a shelter, you have a home, right? It's the small things. So even when you think your world is ending because you didn't get that pitch that you bid for, right? It's that moment of realizing, you know, perspective, learn to be grateful. And I think... Those little lessons, of course, I carry with me. Like, you know, every time something bad happens, you want to like sit in the corner and just be like, oh, I throw a tantrum almost, you know? For me, it's like those moments I kind of remember, no, actually, that's so much to be grateful for. So I would say that's the biggest lesson probably that I keep from her. Oh gosh, she was just a force. My sole purpose, sometimes, you know, when I'm sourcing art, with a client, especially for their home. I think the home is really special. We can go months and you know, not find something. And this one moment, one of my clients, right, we walk in and, you know, we can see the artwork from across the street because the gallery has a large glass wall. We're walking in towards it. And I get like this huge nudge from him, like, you know, being like, she's the one, she's the one, you know, and like this is a sparkle in his eye, right? It's almost like finding his soulmate in that artwork. And this is like a 70 year old man. Like he's like a proper grandfather, you know what I mean? Like, and seeing that kind of excitement and like joy. And that's the power of art. You know, I've seen that with even our workplace clients. Second, you know, we install this entire collection of art in their office and we come in and they engage with the artists. They talk about it. For me, it's the emotional connections that get passed within that. And how can we create more of that? Because you genuinely see the light. If that light isn't happiness, I will change my name. But it's one of those things where that's the moment that I live for, I would say. Like my sole purpose is how can we create more of those moments? It's not about putting up more artworks on walls. It's about creating more of those moments where people genuinely connect and understand, you know, where art kind of helps us snap out of reality for a second and actually engage with our lives, you know, like in the moment. When you truly look at art, you're in the moment. And I feel like that for me, especially, I would say is really important and driving that forward and kind of that kind of awakening is probably I would call my sole purpose. I love that. It's funny you touched on this idea of awakening. You know, for our piece out there listening who might just be like, this sounds amazing, Sarah. But I have no idea what lights my soul on fire. You know, it seems like you got it from a kid. You understood it was art for you. And and now you're running this amazing business. But for me, like, I don't know. I'm just like trying to do something and make something of myself. You know, for our peers out there listening who may feel that. And there was definitely a time for me before I started my company that I felt that. And I'm sure there would be moments for you too. What advice would you give us around figuring out what that sole purpose is or what just lights us up? 
And then once we kind of figure that out, how do we go away and pursue it? Gosh, I wish this like an easy way to answer that. No, it's really tough. No, I would completely empathize. I think figuring out what you love to do, especially if it's something you've never done before, right? So there's two sides to it. Sometimes it could have been something that you almost know, but you're too scared to admit in a way. And that moment, I feel like it's just really getting silent, finding your space. Sometimes what happens is that in the noise of it all, right? I kind of mentor art history students that are kind of graduating from my alma mater. So one of the questions I get is, say, investment bankers earn these massive salaries when they just graduate from art history programs. When I look at the salary that I'm about to get, you know, graduating from an art history program, it's like one eighth, you know, that's the disparity. How am I supposed to be happy about that, right? Even if that's your passion. And I think that's the moment where you kind of have to like zone in and kind of understand. That's where soul purpose kicks in, you know, where you have to say, okay, fine, this is my passion. If I need to earn a certain amount, I will go about this way of doing it. But this is what I want to focus my time and energy on and having that as your goal. Right. My goal is to hit a point where I can financially be able to do this. I think a lot of people feel that recognizing your sole purpose means you have to quit your job tomorrow and jump in and do it. I think it's more about recognizing that that can be your end goal. And it's about taking actions along the way to make sure that end goal is always ahead of you and saying, okay, you know what? I know I'm headed that way. So I will work in this job that I don't like so much for like the next six months, because I know that's where I'm headed. I know that's what I'm saving for. I would say the second side of finding it is genuinely being open to experimenting. This doesn't mean again, quitting your job tomorrow, right? It could just be, hey, you know what? I'm going to try a clay making class, you know, over the weekend. And just to see, because I feel like I've always loved art, but I've never been able to get into it. Or I'm going to try the spoken word thing, because I always love making people laugh but I've never had the courage to actually go out there and do it. And I think that's the bit where it's kind of pushing yourself to just try different things, right? And I think some areas are a lot easier than others, but it's just about trying and like self-awareness of seeing, okay, this is how I feel when I'm in that position and seeing what you like and don't like. And I guess filtering through that. I don't know, but what would you say, Michelle? (laughs) Honestly, I think you're so spot on. I'm nodding along, obviously, the whole time. You know, I think you're so right. That experimentation piece is everything. And then I think the only thing I would add to that is just having the courage to follow your gut, even maybe when it doesn't feel 100%, you know? And I think, as you said so eloquently, it doesn't have to mean that you quit your job to do that, but just actually being diligent enough and having the confidence in yourself to just go, you know what, I'm going to commit to a clay class every Saturday afternoon for the next six months, and that's what I'm going to do. And I actually believe that might lead me somewhere. If it doesn't, you know what, at least I've made that commitment. So I think confidence, commitment, and just that courage is, yeah. Spot on, yeah. I like the way you've kept into the three Cs, you know, confidence, courage, commitment, yeah. Uh, yeah. That literally (laughs) just came to me then in the moment. I didn't prepare it anyway. Oh, so interesting. I want to ask, 
for you, you know, you seem so connected to kind of what you've wanted to do the whole way through. Was there ever a point where you just thought, my goodness, I don't know if art's going to be it. Like, how am I going to get through this? Like, why have I been so hell bent on this one area? Was there ever a moment for you where you just doubted yourself completely and wondered if you'd made the right decision? And if so, how did you navigate through that? So I don't think I've ever doubted my position within the arts, but of course, I've like with any entrepreneur, there's been moments where I've doubted, especially, you know, when we were thrown. So when I launched my company, we were curating art for workspaces, right? So when we launched in 2019, in June, we were, that's the business model, right? Nine months later, we end up pandemic. A pandemic where all of a sudden workspaces, the one consistent factor that we've had for literally eternity, almost, closes down. And I'm like, what? You know, like, what am I doing? At that moment, I think I had to really nail down. It took me a month, I'm not going to lie, of just like, I would say, being disgruntled, trying to figure out, was the pandemic my fault? How could I have foreseen this, right? Like, because obviously, every entrepreneur's journey is kind of like, how could I have foreseen this? You know, how could I have not navigated this better? And then kind of realizing, okay, fine. So that's happened. I can't control it. But what can I do now? Why did I actually start this business, right? And for me, that's the moment where I actually had to reconnect with myself and understand what is my purpose. And that's when the sole purpose moment, what made me actually want to do this? It wasn't just hanging out in offices. There's something more that I wanted to do. And I realized it was actually this moment of connection. And I was like, wait, can we find those moments of connection now, right? So then I started doing workshops just online with people about art and kind of talking about this connection with art. And introducing them to it in a time when I think a lot of people were feeling lonely and isolated, right? And that's the beauty of art. It brings us together. So how could we go online and still have those conversations that we wanted to have? So for me, that was my process where I basically took a moment to be unhappy. Don't get me wrong. That's very normal and human. But I think for me from then, it was kind of figuring out, okay, we need to get out of this. It's not a permanent state of being. What makes me tick? you know, what will make the company tick and navigating the situation from then on. And I would say for anyone kind of going through that, I think being really silent really helps because it really allows you to understand, okay, where's the unhappiness coming from? What was the thing that actually made you happy? Because sometimes it's not what you thought. And I think allowing that to kind of really navigate your journey might be the way forward. How can we get better being quiet and still and tuning into ourselves? When you start, I think sometimes it's literally just making it a consistent practice of allowing yourself just, you know, start with 10 minutes, 10 minutes where you don't touch your phone or you just sit in your room. Sometimes like, you know, you can be for quite a stupid you can sit in front of a wall or an artwork, you know, if you want something pretty in front of you, preferably something with no text and just really just sit. You can do this even in an art museum where you just sit on a bench and just look, or even in a garden, right? Sometimes it's literally just about being silent and getting used to that kind of presence, right? And soon, I think the longer you make it, the more you do it, that silence will automatically start kicking in. A lot of people feel like, oh, meditation needs to be like forceful, like I need to lie down and I need to go through this process, but it doesn't have to be. Everyone's really different in that process. Like I have ADHD. For me, being silent 
stuck effort, you know, this is not a natural state of being, but it's just one of those moments where once you get used to it, I think there's a lot of fear initially because we love filling the void. But once you get over that initial fear and just normalize it, right? Like it's very normal. All of this is very normal. Sometimes we like box ourselves in into the experience and we're not okay with that. But once you normalize and say, you know what, actually I can sit here in this garden, you'll start noticing the trees, you'll start noticing, you know, little beautiful things around you that you never did before. And that's what presence is about, right? That's what actually being silent is about. And you won't get like an immediate answer. I feel like a lot of people are just like, but I went to the park, you know, for 10 minutes, but I didn't get an answer. But like, it's a process. And I think allowing yourself that moment is how you can get silent. And I'm not shaman or a philosopher by any means, but I would say like, this is kind of my process. And I think for each person, it's quite different. It's about finding what that is for you. I just think it's such valuable advice and I'm totally taking this on board myself. You mentioned filling that void, you know, which I think is such an interesting statement and just rings so true. You know, I think all of the distraction that we find in our day-to-day, even all our peers out there listening who are just like high performers, we're all just like a million tabs open, like literally every second of the day, can't even like take a moment away from our phones. Has there ever been a time for you where you feel like you've distracted yourself to fill that void? And if so, at what point in your entrepreneurial journey or just in your journey to date was that? And how did you combat that or navigate yourself through that time? I think I've always been really ambitious and career driven. And for me, it was always about go, go, go. Like one opportunity of the next. It's about like, how can I get where I want to be really fast, right? I will say, I think being a solopreneur, starting my business alone. For me, a lot of times I realized, you know, even in the early days, right, it can be quite lonely when you're starting a company and you allow yourself to lose that work-life balance completely, you know, by pouring yourself completely into the business, thinking that if I'm not working, you know, no one's working. So I need to like push, 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 push. For me, the void was, you know, a fear of failure, a fear of I've never let myself down before. This has to work. And kind of really pushing through that. I think the pandemic for me in that sense was a blessing in disguise because it made me pause. I think like it did for a lot of us that were kind of indoors, right? Like a forced break in a way that we wouldn't have allowed ourselves, especially those of us that kind of push a lot in our careers to actually have and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, what are you actually breathing here? Are you doing the things that you want to do? Or are you just kind of pushing yourself because you think that's the way to live, right? Because you can lose like your 20s so quickly when you're going from goal to goal, you know, follower to follower, uh, whatever that milestone is for you, right? You'll always keep pushing it and saying, it's fine, you know, I'll skip these events just because I want to, you know, like, can miss my friend's wedding because actually I need to go for this meeting because if we don't seek funding tomorrow, you know, this is going to crash. And then... Two years later, everything does crash. And you're like, shit, I wish I was there for my friend's wedding. For me, I guess the void was that kind of fear of failure and kind of, I think the pandemic made me realize, actually, for me to build a business has to be sustainable, both for myself, the environment, the people that I work with, but more importantly, like genuinely just being able to have a life. It has to be a balance because I can't burn out in 10 years. Such valuable advice. Oh my goodness. Oh, Sneha. 
This has been so enlightening, inspiring, and honestly, I feel like I just need to take notes. It's been so great to chat with you today and hear your story and your wisdom. I've got a couple of final questions for you as we start to wrap up. And the first one is, you know, this podcast is by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. For you as a BIPOC founder, how has your culture helped or hindered you along the way? I've never actually found myself kind of boxing myself into a category that way before, I would say, because I don't know any other lived experience. This is the way I grew up. I feel like I've just lived in so many different cultures, right? Like I grew up in India. I moved to Chicago, built a career there as well, lived in Italy for a year, studying art restoration and conservation, all of those things. So being a BIPOC founder, I think you're more aware of the biases that exist in society. You become more intuitive to it because it's part of your lived experience. You can see it in opportunities. You definitely have learned to fight harder, especially in Western cultures. Well, for me, growing up in India, I would say it's also a lot more competitive because a lot more people vying for the same roles, vying for the same grades in school, for the same leadership positions, right? Especially if you're a little ambitious kid. But as you grow up and you go into different cultures as well, I feel like it's been such a strength, right? Because for me, it's kind of knowing where I'm from, taking those values with me into different cultures, being more respectful of other cultures, because knowing I'm there with a purpose, right? I love learning about, you know, other cultures. And I don't like the segregation and boxing because I feel like, you know, each one of us, when we come together, like that's the universe, like that's our world, essentially. So if you have the most diverse team, if you have, you know, people from every culture within your team, if you have artworks around your office that really talk to those values of each person, we will grow so much and much faster just as a civilization than if you just sit in your little pool being like, hey, this was the way I grew up. So this is the way everyone grew up, right? That's so not true. And even in terms of your products and services that you know the biggest companies offer, right? For me, it's also like diversity in terms of neurodiversity, right? Because having ADHD, I often talk about like, for me, from a design standpoint, when I walk into certain buildings, just because color became such a huge thing, people lost sensibility in terms of the power of color. It can also be quite abusive to the senses if you walk into a building and there's like bright colors flashy from all directions when you're neurodiverse. And it's kind of realizing the sensitivities you can have towards other people. And again, that comes from my lived experience, right? If you've never had a disability or ability of any kind, you know what I mean? You won't know how life affects you. For me, I think just being a part of the diverse founder journey is being in a place where you're a minority and putting yourself in that situation and witnessing it kind of gives you a perspective, like firsthand perspective into an experience. It will automatically, I think, make you more vigilant in ways that others can't. But not to say that one's more positive than the other. I feel like I have so many great friends that are super inclusive in their cultures and just do such great things. But yeah, I will say like it just gives you a different lens to look at the world and that's what it is. And I don't see any reason me and why anyone should take it, you know, not as a positive. It's such a huge positive because you put yourself out there. You've migrated. It's huge. You moved away from your nest, your comfort zone. 
And that's a huge achievement in and of itself. And you're allowing yourself to experience new difficult cultures and experiences, which is also huge, right? So it's a win. I think my last point would be like the point of validation that we all seek, right? When you are a diverse founder, don't seek validation from others. Look in the mirror. As long as you know you're going to do it, you'll do it. The second that self-belief kicks in, it doesn't matter what color you are, what your background is, what your bank account says. That's just the current position. You can be whoever you want to be, right? So I would say the second you let go of that validation of others, someone will say, oh, this is your current bank account. You can't get a mortgage. You can be like, wait six months. Let me come back to you on that, right? And go out there and do your thing and you'll prove them wrong because I've seen that happen. It's weird. Like the universe will conspire with you the second you believe in yourself and you go after your goals with everything you have. It's pretty magical. So magical and so well said. Oh, Sneha, look, over the last five years now in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. In amongst the challenges, the struggle, and just the loneliness that we face, especially as solo founders, you've also received a lot of recognition for your work. Most recently, you were featured on the 2023 Forbes City Under 30 Europe list, which is how we found you. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I would go back to the piece on validation. I would say, Don't seek validation from anyone that isn't looking back at you from a mirror. Literally, just as long as you believe in yourself, as long as you look in the mirror and you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. That's all it takes. And I wish I'd known that earlier because the number of people at least five years ago that would dissuade you from being a solo founder was huge. Like you can't start a company alone. What are you talking about? When are you finding a co-founder, right? But you can do it. If you believe you can do it, if you believe that you can actually get over that loneliness, if you believe that you can overcome those differences because you really love what you want to do, you will do it. That self-belief needs to be there. My second piece of advice would be balance. You know, allow yourself space, especially when the first failures when you've started a company or when you've gone out there on a limb. Give yourself space. Be easy on yourself. Forgive yourself. Your goals do not have to be achieved in a year, in a day, in a month, right? It's a life. As long as you're waking up every day and feeling good in your skin and feeling that the rhythm's good. I feel like the goal is not the number, which sometimes we feel. It's literally about being happy along the way to get to that number. Because if you're miserably pulling yourself out of bed every day, being like, I need to hit that number. You'll hit that number and you'll wake up and you'll feel like shit. So it's about getting there and being like, that was such a fun journey. I want to do it again, right? Like allowing that piece to come through. And I think that's something that I'm working on right now is kind of allowing myself to go with the journey. Some days you might hit the number, some days you don't, but it's just one of those things where you make it fun. And at the end of the day, you know, it's funny when you do that, you tend to go beyond the numbers and not even realize when you cross them. I would say my third piece of advice, we just don't look for advice. Just listen to yourself. People will give you crappy advice. My advice is relevant to my journey, right? It's from where I'm sitting. It's from my life experience and my stage of life. You might be living a very different reality from me. So listen to yourself because my advice has come from within me. 
you have your own advice. We are so good at giving advice to other people. But when it comes to literally listening to ourselves, we look for validation. So they're all like almost connected, but just get quiet. And when you hear the advice, allow yourself the courage to follow it. Sometimes we will take on somebody else's advice and be okay with it not working out because it's okay with their advice. But then if we take our own advice, we will beat ourselves up over it being like, I should have listened to myself. I should have gone the other way. But no, it's okay. Like maybe that's part of the journey. That's part of the lessons that you need to learn right now, right? So allowing yourself to actually listen to your advice and get more intuitive, I think would be like my third one because that's where I guess the best realities come from, right? Mm. I love that. I'm just nodding along. I just so agree. Oh, Sneha, this has been so, so great. I've absolutely loved this. And before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, for the personal journey that you've been on and for sharing so openly and so vulnerably with us today. I think, you know, so many of our peers out there, just we so appreciate it. You know, those of us who have those big goals, those big dreams, hearing your story makes us believe that they're somewhat possible. Although the journey may not be easy, we can get there. And for that, we really appreciate you. Oh, thanks, Michelle. And thanks for having me. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of Peers Podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? For me, it's like asking, what's the value of being happy? Passion, I feel like there's nothing like it, right? Like it's that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you just don't know why you're smiling, right? Like even a bad day feels good because you love what you do and it's the joy of just doing the work. There's no other way to live, right? Like if you wake up working about what you're most passionate about, I don't think the passion can come from what the business stands for. The passion can come from the role you play in it. You don't have to start your own company to be passionate about your work. It could literally just be like, you might love to write and you love your editorial gig at whatever magazine or newspaper you're at, right? Like that process of just getting your words out there on a piece of paper, that can really push you. For me, my passion is really when I have conversations with my clients and I know I've kind of had the right piece in my mind for them or... I'm looking at a brief and all of a sudden I can like just feel the designs come to life. And I just love that feeling. It's fulfillment in a whole different level. And kind of waking up, doing something that you're fulfilled in, just feeling intellectually, emotionally stimulated, right? All your senses come to life in a way. And it's not, I'm not saying it happens every day, but that moment when the passion hits, right? The connections are made. It just feels really lively and If you can do that, if you know that exists out there, why would you not want to do it? You know, why would you want to go another way? Couldn't agree more. Oh, Sneha, thank you so much. This has been honestly amazing. And we so appreciate you. Where can we learn more about you and Curatey? So you can find me on LinkedIn or Instagram and Curatey has a website. It's www.curatey.co. My Instagram handle is snehashah.art, even on Twitter. And LinkedIn, I think, is also snehashah.art. So you should be able to find me through those means. 
Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Peers. If you're liking what we're doing here and resonate with our mission of amplifying BIPOC founder stories, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Also, head over to our Instagram and follow us. We're at The Peers Project. And you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Mish Echidinal. I adore you oh so very much, Peers. Until next time. <laughs>